Yo! Hello, hello, hello. It's time to do the show. Why am I singing? I have no idea. Hey, y'all. It's the Week in IndyCar. Listener Q&A show brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. It is 7.15 p.m. on a Tuesday evening. This is International Women's Day. Spent a decent portion of this with my woman, my love, my everything, Shabrell Pruitt. Uh, our 20-year anniversary of meeting one another is coming up at the end of April. How cool is that? Anyways, spent a decent portion of today focusing on my love. We, by coincidence, on this International Women's Day, also were focusing on fighting breast cancer. And so spent, uh, yeah, whatever amount of time in chemo, and she did her usual amazing, amazing uh, job of dealing with it, kicking its butt, and remaining in rather amazing spirits. So, <sighs> filled with love for her and encouragement for us and everything in the future. So, there you go. So, I've told you we're starting the show. I've decided to sing to open the show for no particular reason. I want to say a big thank you as always to all of you who send in questions for this podcast every week and it seems to grow and we seem to have more folks who tune in, more folks who send in questions. We've got some new questionnaires this week which I always love and big thanks to uh, some really kind people listener group that started off i don't know a year ago year plus year and a half however long called the prude day uh modeled after my favorite wwe tag team wrestling group which has kind of been disbanded sadly the new day is no longer uh, really around but anyways the prude day listeners of this podcast friends who've come together and just started to do some really cool things uh, i want to say big thanks to them for their ongoing encouragement and support and if you want to make some friends, you want to join that group, uh, talk about racing, talk about the show, solve life's problems, laugh a lot, uh, wander down willpower-esque rabbit holes, um, prudayrocks at gmail.com, P-R-U-E-D-A-Y-R-O-C-K-S at gmail.com. Send them an email, and uh, the leaders of the Pruday will get back to you and invite you to join. And then, hey. You've got 100-plus new friends who all like racing, IndyCar, sports cars, maybe Formula One, who knows what else. And uh, here we are with our little gathering. Last thing to mention here before we kick off with your questions. Thanks again, everybody who's been tuning in to this new hashtag racing family show that I started with my friend Chris Wheeler. Been doing them the last two Mondays at 5 Eastern eight Pacific and sprinkle in one or two more during the week. Uh, who knows what they might be about, but been enjoying that loving the live format. So for those who are listeners of the Q and a show here, going to keep doing that obviously and love the format that we've established over the past many years. But I do super, super love 
the live format of Twitter spaces and the uh, hashtag racing family show that we have come up with. So I would encourage you to come over and join in. Uh, we've actually had a lot of folks doing that already. And Chris and I have, we're not even two weeks into doing the show, but yeah, um, it's been pretty awesome. So if you got questions, you want to join in, share thoughts, who knows, come and do that. We've had a lot of guests so far, many, many IndyCar related recorded one yesterday with Indianapolis motor speedway president, Doug Bowles and Chip Ganassi racing driver, Marcus Erickson also had former Chip Ganassi racing driver, Sebastian Saavedra join in. So I think I'm going to post that as our kind of driver interview, uh, show for the week here on the good old podcast. I'm currently recording yesterday's show from Twitter spaces onto, um, yeah, via my laptop onto a little handheld audio recorder. And so once I get that in digital form that I can use, I'll fire that up here and post it, uh, as a podcast you can download, but hope you'll join us over there. It's just my Twitter handle at Marshall Pruitt and set reminders. You can join in, have some fun and yeah, kind of a new thing, but I have a feeling it's going to become something that I'm doing more frequently, maybe more than podcasts. So uh, let's get going with your show. Once again, all brought to us by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and torontomotorsports.com. And who are we kicking off with? This list brought to us by our dear friend, Jim Kaiser, the man who does indeed assemble your cues so I can give you some A's. Let me see. What are we... 3,167 words worth of questions. We're not going to get to all of them, but I will get to as many as possible. Where do we go first? Well, that answer is rather easy to come by. Uh, we're going to kick off here talking about Iowa, their pal Cody Oakwood. And, you know, before I rip into your question here and the others, I'm going to... Oh, yes. This is a, what is this? This is a beer made by Three Floyds, Zombie Dust, Undead Pale Ale, sent to me by some members of the Day because they know that I like uh, interesting beers. Pale ales, not so much. Uh, my general standard for beer consumption is if I can see through it, I won't drink it. So I like me some of them dark beers, y'all. But nonetheless, this is a pale ale, and it's zombie dust. But let me give this a sip. Maybe this is going to power the show, and maybe it's going to get one sip. And then, I don't know, I'll, I'll give it to the cats. Huh. Not terrible. I don't know if I'm going to venture into great, but not terrible. It's called zombie dust. In theory, it's brewed with at least... 17% of the undead in it. So, um, thanks for sending this. y'all. I got more to try. So I got a little care package a little while ago. So thanks again, Prue day folks. All right. Cody Oakwood says, Hey, MP hope all is well with your wife, the cats and yourself. Things are, things are certainly on the up. My brother says, who is guiding the promotion of the Iowa weekend with the announcement of the music lineup. It looks like they're trying to make it more of an event. Than just a race. You have any educated guess on what percentage of the promotional budget is set aside for off-track attractions to boost the fan experience? No clue on that percentage, Cody. 
But the, the best part to know here is the event is being promoted by High V, uh, the sponsor, the number 45 Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Honda, driven by our pal Jack the Bean Flicker Harvey. <laughs> I'll just leave that there. Uh, High V is centrally involved in promoting this event and IndyCar as well. So this is a Penske Entertainment thing. And I might be forgetting one or two other promoters involved with this. The Speedway itself, I believe, is involved as a promoter. Uh, the musical announcements of what? Uh, Florida Georgia Line, a band I've never I've heard the name of, but never heard their music. Blake Shelton, know who he is, never heard his music. And Tim McGraw, I'm sure I've heard one of his songs somewhere, but uh, know who he is. I think he's, he's the a- actor on that, uh, what, Paramount Plus 1883 show maybe does he sing country anyways uh country og and then gwen stefani as well so yeah uh i know that high v was directly behind the the music side i know that our friends at penske entertainment are truly hyped up about this uh and going all in so we got some more questions here along the lines of iowa so why don't I dive into those? But back to your your main question, multiple players, they do appear to be really seriously putting an effort into making it known that they're holding a motor race, blanketing this information across the Midwest, trying to appeal, I guess, to uh, a stereotypical Midwestern country music kind of thing. And... Uh, yeah, I got to admit, I love seeing this. Even if everything they're doing, Cody, would not necessarily appeal to my tastes, the fact that we have some entities coming together that are really and truly giving us the impression that they're trying very hard to make this double header a success, I love that. And I'm not saying there aren't other tracks that don't try hard. I think this is starting to push towards a gateway worldwide technologies raceway um what they've been doing there for a while now with indycar has really been the standard bearer for heavy effort and pretty darn good results uh for the effort that they do put in so uh that's what i know let's go to brian burrell it's okay it's not a question it's a rant here we go we're second thing on the show this week is a rant can IndyCar fans not be happy with anything? Brian asks. People are mad about the concert announcements uh, for Iowa that High V are packaging with the race weekend. I don't get it. If you're a true race fan, you don't have to watch the concerts. Listen to them either. Uh, it's an enhancement for race fans and a chance to hopefully create a buzz and bring in some novices that wouldn't show up. These are all pretty big names, not just country, but Gwen Stefani and even Florida Georgia Line toe that line taking your word for this i have no, i assume their country but if i'm wrong i apologize says and maybe you've heard but tim mcgraw and blake shilton are both in some popular tv shows seriously this is huge brian goes on to say if each artist tweets it they have a combined 27.4 million followers says blake shelton has almost 20 million you've done some math for this question brian so big props to you goes on to close and says more than pretty much the 33 starting drivers at Indy in terms of how many followers Blake has by his lonesome. Be thankful someone is putting up this money and promotion and enjoy the race and atmosphere. 
I'm with you. Uh, as I mentioned, I don't remember where, maybe on the, the racing spaces from Monday, if I was an IndyCar fan and was having to decide whether to go or not, and I looked at the increase in prices for the ticket, which is what we assume is needed to pay for these major musical acts, depending on my income and whether I could afford it or not, I might question as to whether I would go. Again, just based on musical tastes. But if I have to think about, again, where folks might lean in terms of musical pleasure, this seems like a pretty good choice here, Brian. So I'm with you. Um, I'm hoping to be able to go. I haven't been to Iowa in a really long time, but I hope I will be able to go and I won't be staying for the music, but who cares? Um, I just want to go and see some great racing, which is what that track always produces. So there you go. Love the rant. I agree. Uh, brighten up people who aren't fully behind this or something like that. And we're going to close with our pal Ryan Terpstra. Says, I made some news this week with talk about music, but let's discuss the really important stuff. I read there are going to be 75 food trucks at the race. Trying to figure out how many meals I can eat while I'm there and how many trucks I can visit while we speak. Yeah, uh, I saw that too. And I'm thinking maybe we need to start a uh, little Pruday uh, short-term business venture where we provide what cots or sleeping bags or just comfy foamy places to lay down because it sounds like it's going to be the food coma 500 and you put 75 food trucks in front of me as an obvious lover of food based on my round shape we could have problems we could snoring snoring could happen yes there will be race cars droning around in the background but uh, my digestive system, I think will turn off the lights if, uh, I'm let near those 75 food trucks. So I do love that though. Kidding aside, they could say, Hey, we're going to have 10. We're going to have five. We're going to have 25. That would all be amazing. 75 is a true massive high ambition. We're going so far over the top type gesture that once again, mean to pick on my local track laguna seca but y'all i know you're working with limited funds you're not necessarily able to spend a fortune on such things but hey we had like one food truck here hey aim higher please realize that what the other circuits are doing or some of the other circuits are trying to do is create a real happening cultural event plus motor racing music food general happiness those two things kind of sort of feed the world right feed your soul with what you love to listen to and dance to and sing to and then give you tons of great food options plus we have sports entertainment with a motor race or two like these are some pillars where you go hey racetrack that kind of wishes you had more attendance i don't know what are you giving people is it just the motor race you might be uh rockies in total agreement hey rock uh you might not be given folks everything they're wanting or accustomed to at other major events that they go to so maybe a bit of modernization in approach here is something that iowa 
will set the standard for for some other tracks that maybe just aren't thinking as big as they should or aren't thinking and realizing how much competition they truly have for uh, audiences. Let's move on to a new questionnaire. Uh, Jorge the Talking Goat uh, from Reddit says, Hey, MP, uh, hope you and your wife are well. Long-time listener, first-time questioner. I love it. Taking another sip of uh, zombie dust. Doesn't necessarily get better on the second try, but I'll keep trying. Jorge says, when Alex Pillow hit the wall during practice at St. Pete, commentary booth was discussing that the car might be, air quote, tubbed. Sounds like it might have survived, though. Can you say more about how teams define, quote, tubbed? Uh, tubbed, by the way, is just a, a colloquialism. The uh, part where the drivers sit. Something that in recent years, IndyCar has termed as the safety cell, the carbon fiber structure within where the driver sits and operates and where the fuel cell is mounted and where the front suspension is carried and where the motor and everything behind it bolts onto that core structure. uh, While they call it a, a safety cell, it's just been referred to as a tub, the tub, uh, or just the chassis. I know the chassis is the whole thing, but uh, since the actual place where the driver sits forever has been the place where the actual chassis number has been either stamped or glued in or riveted in or whatever, within the, the paddock, it's not uncommon for folks to refer to the chassis uh, and be referring more to the tub itself. So anyways, uh, when you happen to destroy a tub, uh, it's often referred to as being tubbed. Ah, we tubbed the thing, uh, got to replace it and whatever else. So uh, Jorge goes on to say, is there some sort of actual load test or structural test a tub undergoes after a wreck at a place like Indy and whatnot to make sure it's okay? Or is it based primarily on visual inspection? What does IndyCar inspect? Uh, what do they do uh, when they're looking at the tub itself during tech? And if a chassis is taken out of service after a big wreck, is it just junk at that point? Does Delara take it back and maybe repair, or refurbish it? Lots of questions here. And I've got Rocky trying to walk across the keyboard here and run his tail across the mic. Thanks, buddy. The thing I really wanted to stare at right now was the backside of a male cat. Um, I'm, I'm going to, your little kibbles and bits are going to go over there. Thanks, pal. Let's go a little bit backwards here. Jorge, uh, Delara doesn't own, uh, whatever they sell. So they wouldn't take anything back, um, to quote repair or refurbish more often than not. You would have a aerodyne or some of the other composite specialists in and around Indianapolis or the Midwest, uh, perform repairs if they were serious things needing to be repaired. The same time, if we're talking about punching suspension pickups through the tub, ripping bulkheads out, smashing things massively, it, it's kind of like cracking an egg. Yes, you can get out the good old super glue and put that egg back together. 
but its structural rigidity is just a not going to be the same before it was cracked and broken and b not something you're really going to trust so what we have here uh, when we have a chassis that could be damaged right talking about Pelot's crash they can look and will look immediately and see if the tub obviously where the hashtag front nose stops where the nose connects to the car has the impact come back far enough to extend beyond the nose and get into the tub itself sometimes in a pretty severe hi buddy you're back hello dude now he's grooming the microphone and staring me in the face uh again i appreciate your face more than uh the backside buddy but keep going um you'll have a case where they might see a little bit of of rough treatment to the 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 top side or maybe even the bottom side of the tub is it cosmetic in those cases you'll deal with that clean that up get that fully repaired after the event but if we're talking about something where hey we smashed the nose we smashed the front wings and it continued and got into the tub itself if you can see that clearly that answers the question done we're going to a a backup chassis a spare one whatever it might be to continue if it's more of a weird crash right some sort of big torsional forces put through things where we might be talking about cracking compared to smashing. That's where some old school folks, I think I've mentioned before the old school chassis inspection uh, process has been uh, using some form of metal to tap against the tub. Uh, Could be pocket change. A quarter was often the, the most popular thing to use back in the day. Um, are there any dead sounding spots? Did, did something hit somewhere, something twist, something compress that it shouldn't, uh, where it shouldn't have. And so again, you'll get folks that are, are listening. It's a sound based thing. And there are some other deeper, more electronic inspections that can be done. Uh, ultrasoundish to try and see if there's any big, big, uh, risks that might might be found in terms of damage being done to this Jorge. But yeah, for the most part, it's either really obvious, you see it and it's there. Um, and it might not even be a smash into the tub itself. Did the front of the car go into the wall hard and did, say, one side of the steering rack get pulled backwards, pushed back into the tub, into that front bulkhead? And is that now a few millimeters uh, shorter uh, compressed back towards the driver than it was. So again, the the ways and means to determine, fairly well known. Uh, I, I'm struggling to think in IndyCar at least of a scenario, um, maybe there, I'm sure there have been, but struggling to think of anywhere. It's like, oh, we looked at everything, didn't find anything, thought everything was perfect, and then found out, oh no, we were wrong. We missed something big. So um, that's pretty much it. If it is something that cannot be repaired due to the size of the damage or the fear of where it happened uh, and whether that's a super load-bearing point uh, in the tub, that, yeah, you could try and have that repaired, but will you ever trust it? Those are the two things that have a team saying, yep, that is now uh, the, what, 
Chip Ganassi's nephew's new simulator. Uh, so we are not going to run that. Uh, let's see. Where do we go next? We go to another sip of zombie dust. Edgar Sanchez Brambia says, with IndyCar delaying the new hybrid engines, does it make it more possible that the long-rumored third-engine manufacturer will decide to jump in? It can't hurt, Edgar. It absolutely cannot hurt. As of St. Pete, I was made aware that no decision has been made on uh, Toyota, which we broke on Racer months and months and months ago, being the one, and then more recently narrowed that down to it's going to be a sub-brand of Toyota, uh, likely Gazoo Racing Toyota GR would be the the branded, uh, the brand used with the engine uh, if this happens. I can only tell you that the hey, we're going to wait one more year, and if you were to come in, you would be starting at the same time and have not as much development time, obviously, as Chevy and Honda, but you would not be massively behind um, since they've built their first motors, going to be testing their first 2.4-liter twin-turbo V6 motors here at the end of the month. But uh, if they were to come in or someone else and make that decision somewhat soon... Uh, I think they would be in a pretty darn good place come 2024. So uh, possible, more possible. I I was unaware of there being any kind of, well, if you wait a year, that'll improve our odds of coming in. Never heard that, never known that to be a factor. The fact that IndyCar has decided with Chevy and Honda to push to 2024 I would say that should only make a third manufacturer very happy to know that uh, since they would not indeed be late to the party. Andrew Miller, <laughs> fun one here. So, so did Will Buxton read the room wrong on the aero screen at St. Pete? Obviously, a bunch of drivers spoke up uh, in support of the aero screen after, but it seems like the critics Will spoke of don't want to have themselves publicly linked as anti-aero screeners. Oh, no. We've got anti-aero screeners now. <sighs> Boy. Uh, says, guessing you've heard similar grousing. Also says, will Will Buxton have trouble getting a media pass next time he flies over? All right. I'm going to try and keep this as short as possible. Will is a, a friend, an old friend and a dear friend. No joke. Whatever. I know some folks don't like him. Whatever. I'm not one of those guys. Rocky, are you one? You don't like Will Buxton? No? All right, dude. All right. I guess the, the, the house is divided here. Rocky's on one tonight, by the way. Uh, I don't know what his deal is, but uh, we often refer to his antics as a love Rocky uh, period. So sometimes I will wake up, uh, go through the bedroom door into the living room, and find Rocky like truly one foot in front of the door. And he is just looking up and makes it very clear that nothing will happen until he is given all kinds of love because it's a love Rocky morning. And there's some times where it will have a love Rocky morning. He'll catch a nap, get his lunch, their lunch, he and Rosie, 
then he'll let me know it's a love rocky afternoon and it's just him like nope you're not going anywhere i'm gonna be with you stuck like glue give me all the attention pet love you name it today is a love rocky morning afternoon and evening apparently because this little fart is uh yeah we love you buddy uh meow some more and show me your ass some more because who doesn't want that on a podcast um i was really disappointed when i saw will's tweet and little thing i should mention up front i would not suppose to say whether everything will shared in that tweet was 100 percent rooted in fact or fiction because i wasn't there when he was speaking to a lot of drivers was there when he came in during the i forget i think it was a the friday media scrum with all the drivers and such assume that he spoke with some there saw others on pit lane or at their transporters or whatever but i would not venture to say that will made up anything etc etc i assume he's referring to factual conversations that he had with folks couple of things to add on and then we'll move on um there certainly were a number of indycar drivers who said didn't speak to me um again i am not going to get in the middle of who was or wasn't spoken to and whatnot but it did seem like there were a number who said um the numbers you're talking about in terms of us not wanting the arrow screen and so on uh, seem to be off a little bit and so the amount of drivers who raised up and said nope not with you on this one you didn't speak with me i don't agree uh it was an interesting number. Um, I think there were some who piled on afterwards, some journalists and whatnot. Will texted me uh, and clearly wasn't a big fan of being piled on. I told him, dude, I was really disappointed. Uh, my style is to not go after uh, those who I've seen to be uh, straightforward in the past. So um, just told him I was disappointed, though, because it seemed... Uh, as one driver mentioned to me in a text, like he was taking an opportunity to big up Formula One and the Halo by crapping on IndyCar's aero screen. And he said that wasn't the case. Fair enough. As I mentioned to him, and I think as I responded to someone, um, Shimmy Raikkonen, uh, it just stood out as very odd. And Will, having not been in the paddock for a while, I don't think he's been in the paddock since we've gone to the aero screen. Um, the things he's talking about certainly seemed like a St. Pete 2020 type thing. I realize, of course, we had the crazy schedule in 2020. St. Pete was moved to the end of the year and all that. But I'm just generally referring to like a first opening type event of the year or two and this new aero screen that's weird and a lot of people have said it's ugly and and it makes the cars look terrible and it just felt like some sort of did you send this tweet <laughs> two years ago because it seems way wackily timed and it doesn't really seem to fit anything that I hear on any kind of regular basis from the drivers. So I won't pretend to speak to every driver, but of the 26 on the grid, uh, I think I've spoken to 23 
within the past two weeks, three weeks, whatever. Um, so have a pretty good feel of, of where folks heads are at. And I do know of some without a doubt that are get rid of this arrow screen. I hate it. It sucks. Don't want it. It's, it's hot and it's heavy and it's all the bad things that they haven't liked since it came out. I can just tell you in terms of those that I know who are hardcore anti arrow screen, it's not a massive number. It's not a majority. It's not even close to a majority. Um, is it loved in terms of performance and comfort? Absolutely not. If I were to tweet or will were to tweet, Hey, I've spoken with almost all the drivers and they all tell me, man, they, they get, the the safety benefits of the aero screen but man they they don't exactly love this safety device uh for all the other things that make life more difficult i'd have nothing to say no argument no disappointment the way it was presented yeah uh, it didn't necessarily land as as correct so here's what i can tell you i believe just about every team now has cool shirts for their drivers we know last year at St. Pete, uh, this is really where the cool shirt stuff kicked off, was revealed. Um, Colton Hurd had talked about how much it helped. More teams adopted it. The systems altogether cost about eight grand, so it's not cheap. But these systems are available for anyone to buy and use. Everybody within the paddock knows who to call, where to get it, what it costs. Like, it's just almost a turnkey, super easy thing to make happen. So while we're going to go to places where the ambient temperature is going to be nuts, uh, or maybe the humidity is going to be nuts, maybe even both, whether it's some of the scoops and, and helmet cooling and other things that IndyCar uh, has either mandated or made optional, teams after a year of the cool shirts being deployed here, uh, we certainly, Andrew, have a scenario that, yes, still going to be hot in the cockpit. There's still going to be some things that drivers don't like, but in terms of keeping core temperatures down and not roasting, um, this should be something that most can keep in a manageable area instead of critical area. And for those specific reasons, the kind of alarmist thing starting the third season of the aero screen being used was just kind of out of left field and uh yeah bit of a uh, uh poop in the punch bowl uh why don't we go on to ben cohen how you doing ben uh what are we talking about here this is loving the uh, hashtag racing family sessions thanks ben i am too so what are your thoughts on the ability for there to be a semi-decent race at texas this year not old texas racing but maybe just better than a parade and if it's a parade do you foresee indycar potentially replacing texas motor speedway in the calendar next year (sighs) yeah i have no reason to believe the racing is going to be any different than what we have seen in the last couple of years ben with that pj1 nascar goop on the top side the the middle lane of the track Uh, we know that it has been scrubbed heavily by the track to get rid of it and that's been successful but the difference in grip between the low lane and that middle lane to allow us to have too wide racing in the corners. There's been a pretty serious mismatch 
in available grip in the two lanes. And so if you are <clears throat> on the lower lane, which is pretty much the only place folks have run for the last couple of years and want to try and go up into the, that second lane while mid corner, that's where we see the crashes happen. Most of the crashes, one or two have gotten away with it, been really lucky to hold on to the car, you know, fishtailing a bit coming out of turn two in particular, but it's the, Hey, my right side tires have a different level of grip and traction uh, waiting for them. Once they move up into that second lane, than my left side. And once you got that, you have a complete lack of stability in a car that wants to spin and crash. Since this PJ one is still there, still going to be used, uh, or, you know, the remnants of it, uh, it's going to be there. It's not going to be perfectly clean for drivers to try and Indy car drivers to try and put down rubber, uh, bottom lane and uh, second lane. Again, I just have to look at what we've seen the last couple of years, Ben, why would it be any different? Uh, it'd be a shock if it were. So as for IndyCar looking somewhere else, I think they have to, even if it's a decent, okay race, as long as Texas sticks to what it has said publicly, Hey, uh, I know you don't like it and I'm sorry, but, uh, NASCAR wants it. They're the big attraction here. They're the big money generator. So you're just going to have to deal with it with where Roger and, and the Penske entertainment folks are trying to take IndyCar upwards into better places. Uh, I don't think you can continue to go anywhere where you get told, uh, no, you're always going to be second fiddle and we're not going to make an adjustment that would make your races better and more compelling. So as long as that message remains loud and clear to IndyCar, uh, I think IndyCar needs to go talk to some other one and a half mile ovals and see what we might go to that's, uh, I don't know, new or something we haven't been to in a really long time. So go where you're wanted. When you're told you're going to be nothing more than number two, tell me what racing series would want to continue to race there under those circumstances, knowing that the quality of their racing suffers because they're not the number one uh, choice of the track. Uh, we're going to go to Nutrition Paste from Reddit. It says, MP, no question. Just want to say that the new hashtag racing family show is a really fun format. And I look forward to seeing how it grows over time. Me too. Try and do some more fun stuff there. Just fun is maybe the operative word. Way less formal, uh, but also got some ideas. I want to get some of my favorite racing photographers on not just one episode, but like, Hey, got a couple of you this time, a couple of you, a couple of weeks down the road, who knows? Let's talk about what you do, how you do it, how you came into this, your style, what you'd recommend for amateur photographers, that kind of stuff. Uh, just have ideas and talk. So there you go. John Sable says, gas prices seem to be a topic this week. Are racing fuel prices impacted as well? I've spoken with a couple of IndyCar team managers or team presidents, and they tell me no. So far, they have not seen racing fuel costs go up. You also ask here, John, are these costs covered by the teams, or is it all some sort of thing covered by fuel sponsors? Oh, there's no fuel sponsor. There's a fuel sponsor for IndyCar, 
Uh, there's some sort of marketing arrangement. I'm sure IndyCar gets money from Speedway, but the teams, no, they pay for fuel. So, yeah, uh, the teams sponsor the series fuel sponsor with their money. Uh, let's go to Kurt Pose. How you doing, Kurt? Hoping I get to see you again at Long Beach here. Uh, thank you for being a volunteer corner worker. Um, truly, truly, truly love and respect y'all for doing what you do to make motor racing possible. Uh, you ask, what exactly is a fuel number? Is it the amount uh, spent in a lap? Or is it what's left in the tank? Does it vary by team? So that others don't maybe know when they're listening in on the other's radio exactly what they're talking about. Also says some really nice things about my wife and I and all the pets. Um, fuel number. That is a per lap target. Taking another sip here of zombie dust. 2.8. Your fuel number is 2.8. What is that? That is miles per gallon. So you, well, you're, all right, I'm already farting around. I'm getting, I've had a third of the beer. It's 12 ounces. I'm not drunk, but I'm starting to act like it. Good Lord, what is wrong with me? Uh, we're talking about the amount of fuel uh, we're looking to consume per lap. So teams will give the driver that number. And on the dash, driver will be able to pull up that number and monitor that very closely. So whatever that number happens to be, um, it's usually a single digit um, followed by a single decimal place. 2.8, uh, 3 point whatever, again, whatever it might be. That is the target fuel number to burn for the lap. So knowing that, uh, and again, usually we're talking about mile per gallon. It could be the actual amount of fuel consumed during the lap. That would be a not something that I recall being too much of a thing, but it, uh, I've certainly seen that before. But that is the information the team is giving the driver to hit in order to achieve the distance needed on that fuel tank, uh, the 18-gallon fuel cell. And so what you're getting, that information you're getting, is, hey, uh, we're needing you to... It's, it's rarely... Do you ever get some sort of crazy aggressive uh, high consumption fuel number, right? Hey, we want you to burn as much as you can, go nuts, uh, you, double fuel per lap. You don't get fuel numbers being spoken in those scenarios. What you get is, hey, we're going to try and go an extra two laps on this tank, and that hopefully will allow us to, uh, whether it is, have fresher tires during the next stint, right? Maybe uh, talking about the end of the race, if you can push a little bit longer in the middle stint, uh, stretch your fuel and have fewer laps to spend in the charge to the checkered flag on those tires. Um, it could be just trying to be very miserly so that maybe even if a team is not looking to get you to burn the car down to the last drop of fuel before pitting, Maybe they're trying to take advantage of a shorter pit stop. Hey, uh, we're going to have you try and hit a somewhat uh, hard fuel number. But if you can do that, make your speed each lap, but also lift and, and apply the throttle in, in very intentional, if not ginger ways, 
uh, you can hit this fuel number that is going to consume less. And when it comes time to have you pit, there will indeed be more fuel left in the tank. Therefore, it will take less time to refill and we should be able to get out of the pits, whatever the time is, one second faster, two seconds faster, who knows, but gain track position or maybe, again, who knows, if you think everybody's going to be pitting on that same lap uh, that's on your fuel strategy, Kurt, uh, be in a position where maybe if you and two others are pitting at the same time and you've all been fighting for position and you've done a better job of hitting that fuel number, that, uh, that aggressive fuel number to save, again, you're going to be stationary for less time on pit lane in theory, provided the tires go on quickly and there's no issues there. You can rock it out and gain a position or two. So, yeah, uh, we're talking about mileage, basically hit this mileage, fuel mileage number per lap. And if you're doing that, then we're going to be in good shape. And so each lap, as the driver goes by start finish, they will get an update um, as to uh, once they cross that beacon, they'll get the number that tells them, uh, oh, you just did this. You know, you either matched it or you were better by a little bit or worse by a little bit. Team will be telling them <laughs> from pit lane, hey, great job. Hey, uh, take, take it easy. Lay off the push to pass. Uh, we're burning up too much. We're not going to make our fuel number if you keep doing this. So that's what we're talking about, man. Uh, why don't we go, Rishi, to respond? Hey, Rishi. MP, hope you and Miss Pruder. Well, question I saw on Twitter. Yesterday, a job posting within the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service for a, quote, grizzly bear conflict manager. Which IndyCar driver would be best suited for this job? And why is it Will Power? <sighs> See, Will would get eaten. Will and those crazy eyes of his would do the, the staring the bear in the face, and the bear would definitely be like, oh, I need to eat you. You're crazy. Why would you dare lock eyes with me um i think rossi would be best i really do um two creatures not possessed of many words uh, mood management certainly seems to be a thing um i think rossi i, I think just with a couple of you know a little bit of body language no, movement here or there with a hand or arm to signal uh, maybe a little little nod whatever it might be i just feel like there would be some uh, largely non-verbal managerial skills that would reduce conflicts as brought to you by alexander rossi uh dylan darty how you doing dylan this is uh glad to see you back at the track and hope you had a fun and safe weekend at saint pete I certainly did. It says, as a flagger at Mid-Ohio, thank you, Dylan, and Detroit and Nashville. I was very interested to see the new LED marshalling system similar to F1, except it wasn't there at St. Pete. I know it will be tested next month at Indy, but any talk around the paddock why it wasn't at St. Pete? Um, yeah, I got to admit, uh, I was a little bit surprised as well, if not a lot and was told by the series that they're planning on a soft introduction. Now, did I dig further to find out exactly what was the cause of that soft introduction? I'll admit that I didn't because, honestly, I didn't care that much. I just knew that they weren't going to be here 
or at Texas. There's no real reason for them to be at Texas, maybe, but who knows? Um, they're not going to be at Long Beach, I don't think. Maybe Barber, uh, Indy GP, I think for sure. Uh, is it supply chain? I don't know. Is it if they have them the whole system already? If they had adequate time to deploy it on the road course uh, at Indy and, and play with it and fart around. And again, I don't know. Um, but yeah, the series, while making a big deal about the new EM marshalling system in some of their pre season opening content, you know, like days before the event, Hey, this is a new thing we have. But then for it to not be there um, at St. Pete, at least did strike me as a little bit odd. They didn't really want to talk about it too much. And I'll, I think they just kind of wanted to let it, uh, give them a pass. So fair enough. Uh, let's see. Amanda Bauer. How you doing, Amanda? I don't know if anyone's told you this week, but you're awesome. Uh, she says, what's the financial hit to teams when a test day has to be called off at the last minute like we had on Monday at Texas with super cold temperatures, uh, especially somewhere that is not near the usual shop locations like Indy, North Carolina, Ohio, Illinois, etc." Uh, so basically, what's it like? When that happens to everybody, but say Foyt, which has one of their cars based in Texas, just depends, Amanda, on what the test is. Is it a manufacturer test? Uh, one where, at least right now, Chevy or Honda uh, has sent a team to go do something with them on their behalf. Uh, for example, the upcoming 2.4 liter twin turbo V6 test. Uh, the one that we're going to be doing for the first time, I think March 30 and 31 at Sebring. Uh, there will be one car, a Chevy car, and there will be a Honda car. They have hired teams to update and prepare those cars with all the new 20, what we call now 2024 bits. And those IndyCar teams are paid. Uh, they are hired and acting on the behalf. So clients is basically what they are. So even if it's just a normal thing, hey, we're going to have this team go here and do this for us, um, that's something that the manufacturer will indeed pay for. So if it's rained out, snowed out, whatever it out, um, you will get whomever it is that has dispatched you there on their behalf, uh, that'll cover it. I recall in 1998, our little TKM Genoa IRL team was a Firestone test team even though we were barely a year old as a team we'd known firestone for a long time good friends with all of them on the racing side tire engineers and, and manufacturing side uh, from being in indie lights forever and so while we were a smallish team with barely any budget uh, they were kind enough to nominate us uh, Menards and Treadway, I believe. I might have one of those wrong, but um, as one of their official test teams in the good old IRL. And so I do recall a test right around this time, might have even been mid-February, where we were dispatched from our shop in Northern California here to Denton, Texas, to take part in a uh, Firestone tire test and it was snowing when we got there. <laughs> uh, this is 
kind of not pre-internet internet was definitely a few years old but no smartphones none of that no looking on your weather app to see what the forecast was it just again wasn't that wasn't a thing back then so even though february you would think might be cold in a lot of places i don't know mentally in my brain my head movies kind of being an idiot i'm like well we're going to texas so it was lots of shorts and everything else and you get there and go Oh boy. All right, moron. Uh, so didn't plan well for that, but we got to the track and spoke with folks from Firestone. They said, based on all their uh, weather predictions, that this was not going to get better anytime soon. And so we turned around and went home. And when we got back to the shop as the team manager and whatever else, first thing I did was send them an invoice to cover travel and flights and all the stuff that was uh part of going there the fuel for the uh the tractor trailer and i don't remember what the bill was but it was not cheap but they were like hey you're here because of us we can't test because of something out of your control and our control but uh since we asked you we're covering it so that's the one side the other side here is when it is a private test and so what happens when you are a Chip Ganassi racing, Team Penske, and Ed Carpenter racing, and the weather is bad, you swallow that cost. There's no one else to pay for it. You chose to go there. wasn't uh, anything other than your choice. And, hey, Mother Nature did not play ball. And so I believe uh, Penske and Carpenter, maybe even Ganassi, will be back on track Thursday. I know Carpenter and Penske were thinking of doing that, but I'm not sure about Ganassi. But nonetheless, uh, everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, a lot of folks flew home and will be flying right back. And all those extra flights and all the extra hotel nights and whatever, meals and per diem, all comes out of their pocket. Uh, Dave Heisen. I'm going to ignite my rant uh, from Discuss on your listeners. Why would IndyCar not regulate wheel guns as they've done with fueling Buckeyes? Uh, seems like souped up wheel guns and such do not exist. Why not add torque sensors uh, and get that green light tech to know when everything's perfectly torqued? Found it odd that NASCAR sat their crew guys and chief out for an extended period of time for a wheel coming off. We all know RLL's miscue at the Indy 500 cost dearly and uh, Connor Daly took a damaging blow. I saw it from turn two. Would like that scenario to be dealt with on tech and safety side not pit lane um yeah i hear you i think there's some stuff here to talk about soon dave uh i asked about it and was told to check back i think next monday so uh keep listening more to come Uh, and when i do write about it you'll read about it first on racer.com uh ricky zagata how you doing ricky I was having a conversation with a photographer friend mentioned how some photos are frowned upon from IndyCar and teams. What are the do's and don'ts of being a motorsports photographer? And I just tabbed too far up and the rest of your question went away from the page. Uh, and have you been under pressure to take down photos of vehicles before? Uh, g- love the question. Thanks, man. Okay. So there are no rules in IndyCar or IMSA to my knowledge that state any photos are 
illegal, can't be taken, any specific type of photo. Uh, I do not recall anything being written in either rule book that says you can take these kinds of photos, but not those kinds of photos. Those kinds of photos, the ones that are, quote, frowned upon that you mentioned, those are, are discussed in photo meetings by the series. One thing IndyCar does, and this is done by my friends Chris Jones and Chris Owens, usually Joe Skabinski, uh, they will mention that teams do not like it when you take photos of their cars unclothed with the front damper cover off. I say front because I just love assigning unnecessary things to things. The, uh, the rear engine cover, <laughs> it's another one of my favorites. Um, they tend to not like it when you take photos with the bodywork off the car. The teams specifically are mindful, worried, uh, you name it, about suspension and very specifically dampers shots of the shocks and springs now you'll also get some engine manufacturers from time to time who ask uh could be at a test could be a wherever who knows uh if they've done something during the off season and teams are coming out and testing for the first time and there's some stuff they've done that They'd love to wait as long as possible before their rival gets to see it clearly and up close. They'll ask teams to, you know, uh, if you're taking the engine cover off to make a whatever change or to inspect something, hey, could you, you know, have somebody that stands in the way or holds up the engine cover and, you know, holds it over the engine and gives the person just enough space to get in with their little bit of their hands and forearms, but not much more to make that change instead of having it just readily available uh, to lean in and do whatever. Uh, You'll get that every now and then too. So here's the deal. Deal with it. Um, Back when Derek Walker and Randy Bernard were kind of the people in charge of IndyCar, uh, they made a point. Randy made a point of uh, saying blankets are no longer allowed to be placed over uncovered cars. Uh, If you are working on the back of the thing, as we often see in sports car racing, uh, you can't throw a blanket over stuff so that it's all obscured from your rival's view or everybody's view. Look, uh, these are spec cars. And yeah, you can do a lot of different stuff with the dampers, but for the most part, covering things up is not a way to get folks interested in this new technology. So that was a intentional thing put into the rule book in 2012 when this new turbo formula came in. Can't cover it up when you're on pit lane, when you're in the garage, like can't do it. Got to leave it open and exposed. And so that was a, a big culture shift, Ricky. That is something where, a lot of teams, a lot of mechanics just come up being trained uh, to always be protective of their cars and deeply ingrained, right? Cover the wings. Don't let the wing settings be seen. Cover the this, cover the that. Turn this. Again, block that. Just that's that was a hard culture to break. 
I know f- this is not IndyCar, but a friend of mine, Steve Reagan, long time, awesome, amazing uh, IndyCar mechanic, then sports car mechanic. Uh, he was, he told me after he quote retired or moved on from one of the major, it was Acura, I was working for Gilles de Ferrin, uh back in the ALMS big LMP2 or prototype wars in the late 2000s. Uh, he told me years later, he was specifically instructed by the team, by Acura, that whenever he saw me on pit lane with my camera in hand to stand in front of me, block me from taking photos of their car. And I didn't need him to tell me that because I knew it from back then. Hey, uh, Steve's standing there in front of me with his back turned and I take one step to the left and he kind of takes one step to the left. Oh, okay. Interesting. But granted, uh, he's also needing to be, you know, more crew chiefy. Uh, so if I want to go around to the back of the car, he's not going to be able to follow me everywhere, uh, at all times. And although I'm large, I, I can, I can move. Okay. So that just became a bit of a funny thing and same policy. Uh, totally allowed and legal to photograph anything ricky but for talking modern day uh indie cars photographers who lead the photo meetings like to scare most photographers into not taking photos of the cars when they're uncovered and that's it's their series it's their right to try and scare folks to not do something that they're perfectly allowed to do uh i just don't pay attention to it and at the same time you also have to be artful about it like just walking straight up sticking your camera two inches away from the dampers and taking a photo although it's legal uh you're gonna have that team fully pissed off uh so you just again you've got to be artful with it and if you want to know the real tricks uh you don't stand right in front of the car and do that you go into the next pit box and shoot back Um, you go forward and shoot forward. You go on the other side of the pit wall and get another angle. If you want to need that stuff, it's always there. You're always able to take it. Just try not to be too obvious about it because what you don't want is pit crew seeing you walking down pit lane and form a solid wall around their car, (laughs) which technically they could do. Uh, let's see. Why don't we go to Jerry Suddeth? And I lost you again on the page here, brother. Oh, boy, I'm struggling. I'm using the little laptop tonight. I apologize. First, I really enjoyed your video about the uh, blue wraps on Jimmy Johnson's wheels. It also made me curious as to why don't we see more in the way of color on wheels in IndyCar? Is it a matter of additional weight? Team's not having time to spend. Uh, we're talking grams of weight here, so I, I don't really think that's a big part of it. I just don't think most teams have a lot of style. I hate to say it, but you know, polish the, the wheels and make them shiny. It's not a bad default, but actually thinking about, Hey, why don't we apply some livery mindset to the wheels? Have we seen anybody in the cockpits actually try and do that? Try and bring some style in there. Uh, Not really. I think Townsend Bell's car from like seven or eight years ago at the Indy 500 maybe was uh, maybe the last that I remember where there was true design skills added to, uh, quote, wrap the inside of the tub. Um, Yeah, I don't know, Jerry. It it seems to me like 
I think it's pretty. I think it's cool. I don't know why others uh, don't fall into that category. Let me take another sip here and also look at where we're at on the timeline. Ah, a little bit past an hour. All right. We are going to barrel through as many as we can, uh, and I'll give you about another half hour or so. Uh, Mitsuki Matsura, Matsura-san, how are you? Marshall, Ryan Hunter-Ray was spotted talking with Callum Eilat, the Texas rookie test. Is he a driver coach there? Uh, I don't know. I actually haven't spoken with Ricky or Ryan Hunter-Ray, but I should. So I'll try and get an answer for you. Uh, I know they've been trying to work together. I put them together about six months ago and said, hey, uh, work together. <laughs> Nothing's really come of it in terms of driving, but uh, coaching for sure. That would be a pretty smart thing. Uh, it says also, is it too early to say we can celebrate runs? Come back to IndyCar in 2023 with Hunkos Hollinger. Uh, so thank you for keeping the cool down uh, lap column going. <sighs> Thanks, uh, Matsura-san. I, I, I just feel bad that I was a late. Uh, a week late getting that done. Interesting question on who might be driving for Hunko's Hollinger Racing next year. Uh, I don't have an answer for that. I would say that... <sighs> believe Callum is a free agent. If he performs well, uh, he should hopefully have a lot of interest from other teams. As can often happen with a newish rookieish driver like Callum, who has a lot of talent, um, has a one-year deal, I believe. I'll confirm that. Um, you don't often get a team that says, "Hey, we've hired you to drive, and you're newish, and you're doing well, and we're just going to wait to the end of the year where you probably will have some good results and a higher market value." and just wait to see if you decide to stay with us or probably go somewhere else. What you normally get is, hey, it's whatever time, April, May, June. Um, we would like you to sign a contract. And you don't have to, but if you don't, I can guarantee you, um, no matter how this year plays out, even if you have a terrible rest of the year and are groveling to stay because no one else will hire you, we're going to go somewhere else. I'm not saying Ricardo Hunkos or Brad Hollinger would do that. I'm just saying I'm not, it's not unfamiliar to have the, uh, the squeeze applied early in the season with a driver who isn't exactly sitting in, in the most powerful situation to dictate their future. Uh, Jeremiah Morell. Hi, Jeremiah and Sarah. Much, much love from the Pruitt family to y'all. So I'm optimistic about the future for Hunkos Hollinger Racing. A little concerned about the lack of corporate sponsorship on the car. Is the team seeking sponsors or is the Brad Hollinger influence enough and fans shouldn't have any concerns? I know they've consistently said a one car team is the current plan. Indeed. Brad is a Jim Meyer type. Uh, Meyer shank racing, former CEO of Sirius XM, uh, very wealthy business person lover of racing more than capable of reaching into their pocket to make things happen. Now with Brad, uh, and I don't pretend to know him, I uh, just know of him said hello to him once. Um, but I know Brad is immensely successful 
and if he had to come out of pocket to fund the team uh, for a few years, I think that's more than possible. The main thing here, though, Jeremiah, to close is there is an inevitability with the super wealthy racing fan who buys a team outright, co-owns a team, whatever it is, you reach a point sooner than later, and it happens basically every time where they say, hey, I've spent a lot of money. Everything's really nice and shiny. The Hunkos Hollinger team has a hospitality trans, uh, trailer of their own, and half the teams don't, so that's really impressive. But hey, I've spent a lot of my own money, made some serious capital investments. We've got new thises and new thats. Everything's shiny. Like, we got it all. Where the hell are the sponsors? I spent all this and improved it like a piece of property. Hey, the house, I bought it for $10 million. I did $5 million in renovations and upgrades and remodels. And I sh- why aren't folks offering me 20 to $25 million for this house now? It's that kind of mindset. Hey, made these investments. The value should go up significantly, right? Racing isn't that way. You don't get folks randomly saying, hi, I've been watching your team from afar. I'm the owner of a major corporation. And because you've made these investments, I now want to give you millions upon millions of our dollars because I'm impressed by what you spent. Doesn't happen. And so like clockwork, you get these wealthy, passionate business people who invest that get to year two, year three, and start having that what the F type thing because they find that the money doesn't come in very easily. And just because you've made the team shinier and prettier than what it was before you got there doesn't mean corporate America or corporate globe is going to dump money in. So what I hope to learn more about is who Ricky and Brad have hired or will be hiring That is a serious business development badass. You often get uh, the wealthy racing fan business team owner, co-owner person reaching out to their friends. Hey, my buddy, I know the CEO of here and the CFO of there. And uh, let me see if they'll put in some money. And sometimes it happens, but it's never like five-year, $50 million title sponsorship. It's, hey, got an associate sponsor and they put in 250 grand and they're acting like they own everything. Um, It's always a concern. So what I need to find out here, Jeremiah, is what kind of business development program is in place or being rolled out and built up? Because that's honestly the only way uh, a team like theirs keeps all of its owners really happy and engaged Uh, because they all want somebody at some point in time to take over the financial burden. And look, if Brad needs to put in a million or two per year, I think that's not a problem. But when we're talking covering five to six to seven, hey, we're going to do two cars. All right, now we're talking 10. Um, That's where things start to not get good. Uh, John Wojnar, one of our leaders, like Jeremiah of the Pruday once again, prudayrocks at gmail.com if you want to join there. So there's no question today. Just want to give a heartfelt condolence to the family, the David Gilliland racing hauler driver, Steve Stotts, 
and a hearty thank you to all the racing hauler drivers out there for what they do. I only, uh, only saw that just maybe two hours ago of, uh, that big and really sad crash. Um, yeah, fatality there. So, uh, thanks for sending this in, John, you have a big heart in case you didn't know that. Uh, Kyle Brown, we're continuing to rock and roll here to get through as many as we can before the end of the show. Uh, says, disappointed that Sebastian Bourdais never had a shot in top IndyCar equipment after reunification. Is there a driver with a better career that had fewer opportunities in top equipment? Yeah. Speaking with my French fry, he will tell you. Whenever I say to him, dude, you've had an amazing IndyCar career. Always stops me. And he says, thanks. But it's a qualified thanks. It's a thanks with a shut up because now I'm going to correct you. And he says, you know, honestly, I never, I don't feel like I had a great indie car career, great champ car career, indie car. No. So to your point, Kyle, spot on mentioned this in the show before, I'm not going to go deep into this again, but there were multiple opportunities for Sebastian Bourdais to have a top line we now call today NTT IndyCar series career. Um, you can thank Dale Coyne for making sure that didn't happen. So he had multiple opportunities to join Chip Ganassi Racing in the number 10 Honda. Um, Dale refused to let him out of his contract. Um, despite pleading not to do so, Dale took him up, or I shouldn't say took him up, uh, took the option that he held on Sebastian for the following year, kind of had a contract where Dale year after year had that power to say, I want you, you are staying and did. Um, even though multiple, multiple pleadings of let, just let me go, please let me go. You're going to be happier. I'm going to be happier. I do have a great opportunity somewhere else, but like, let's just stop doing this and refuse to do so. And so there are some drivers who got opportunities in that number 10 car who would not have been in it um, if not for Dale Coyne. So uh, equivalent standard 62 from Reddit says, when you talked about the green savory folks, uh, this is referring to a tweet. Uh, I think my friend, I forget which friend mentioned this first uh, from Canada. Uh, uh, maybe Mishbeer, um, mentioned that despite a lot of events and concerts and all that being announced in the greater Toronto area as coming back and going forward, the, uh, Honda Indy Toronto was not among them. And is that ominous? And I mentioned, I actually rang green savory race promotions about two weeks ago with one question just about Toronto and is it happening? Is it not happening? What's going on? And they said, going on 100% no question no issues no anything happening period end of sentence and shared that in a response that you know I guess while it hasn't been declared among all the other events there locally uh, that is what they told me so that's just where this question is coming from so uh, equivalent standard 62 says when you spoke to the GSRP folks uh, did they mention anything about pit lane relocation um didn't bring it up, wasn't even thinking about it. Was just trying to find out whether the thing was going to happen or not. So I apologize. I don't have the answer to that specific question just because we did not get specific. 
Uh, you also say if Beth Peretta has sponsors, engine lease, and a tire lease, and all uh, they need is a car to go uh, for earn a spot in the field, so I'd connect her with uh, Jimmy Vassar and James Sully Sullivan. Or is that too far out of, in left field? Seems like a perfect situation to me. I can tell you this, equivalent standard 62, if Beth has not already spoken with everybody, including Vassar and Sullivan, who do own their own chassis, uh, I know that I've connected her with everybody who possibly has one she might get a hold of. Also asked quickly with some of them just by text, hey, I know you got a car. Would you make it available? Excuse me, I'm burping. Man, I'm acting like I'm drunk. Uh, would you make it available? And not necessarily just for Beth, but in general, because there's a couple folks that I know who are looking to get a hold of a car or this or that. And yeah, been down all these roads. I did ring Beth today. Uh, we'll try her back tomorrow just because I want to get an update on how things are going for her on this front because we're kind of getting down to the old finish line. So yeah, but I can guarantee you the conversations with uh, James Vassar and James Sullivan have taken place. Nick Dovniak, how you doing, Nick? You know, I like it when you send in questions, no matter what everyone else says. MP, what in hashtag your opinion is more needed for IndyCar? Full-time woman driver in 23 or full-time woman team owner in 23? Thanks for all you do. You're welcome, Nick. Thanks for all you do. Well, we already have a full-time-ish woman this year and Tatiana Calderon. No, she's not doing the ovals, but she'll be here for the majority of the year, 12 out of 17 races. We have a co-owner of two and two entries, uh, three entries that happen to be women. One being Julia Steinbrenner with the number 27 Andretti Steinbrenner racing auto sport with a whole bunch of other names. Honda driven by the delightful Devlin DeFrancesco. And then in the Meyer Shank racing team, uh, Mike Shank is the upfront name. He's the one managing and doing all that stuff, but it is Mike and Mary Beth Shank who own their portion of the team along with Jim Meyer, who owns his portion. Uh, so those are women who are full-time owners. I think what you're getting to though is fully independent owners, right? Not co-entrance, not that just, Hey, Peretta Autosport, Beth Peretta. She owns it, her, uh, no men owning it, but just them. I think popularity-wise, fans are probably going to go more towards uh, a woman driving than a woman owning, just because that's what we celebrate, right? The athletes who are doing the thing, not necessarily the folks who own um, the team or own whatever. <clears throat> I just don't know of a ready turnkey kick-ass woman to plug right in and race next year <clears throat> and make the kind of impact that would be most beneficial. Uh, Jamie Chadwick, now two-time uh, W Series champ, would want to see her for a year in Indy Lights. Uh, not only get to know a lot of the tracks, but get a taste for oval racing, at least get a year so that coming into IndyCar, she wouldn't be having to learn everything. Alice Powell could fit into that for sure. There's some of the veteran women, the Simona De Silvestros, Catherine Legs, and so on, 
but I'm just trying to think next generation because if you look at Cat, you look at Simona, uh, age-wise, they've been here for a while. We've known them uh, either since Champ Car or a long time ago in the good old uh, couple years following the Indy Racing League and Champ Car merging. So just trying to think of next. And there is talent, no question, just not... <clears throat> come drive for Chip Ganassi, Roger Penske, Michael Andretti, Zach Brown, Ed Carpenter, and you're going to be there, thereabouts, performing at a rookie level like a Colton Herta, Renus VK, Kyle Kirkwood, and so on. We don't know who she is yet, and she, she, whomever she is, has not identified herself yet on the open wheel side. Elsewhere, lots of crazy talent, not an issue. Just for what we do here, uh, I don't know who she is, so I don't think following your what do we need for 2023 guidelines, Nick, I don't think we're close enough to say there's a, uh, a young woman racer that's ready to dive in and go badass full-time on the driving side. So I'd have to say, if we're talking benefit in terms of real realistic chances, it would be a Beth Peretta type. So, And even then, I'm not sure if Beth would have the full budget to do a full season next year. Would hope for that, obviously, but um, it feels like we're stuck in a blind spot here, Nick. really does. Uh, again, it's International Women's Day. I don't know. I don't want to sound like a total homer here, but it's kind of what every day is for me because I happen to spend my life with a woman who's just internationally amazing every day. Um, demonstrates all the best traits of strength and faith and just everything. (sighs) There are many women working on pit lane, mechanics, engineering side, management, whatever. There are so many amazing, truly amazing, excellent women who work in IndyCar and other racing series these days. But the front-running, let's place the big focal point on the driver or the team owner that happens to be a woman. Uh, We're just not there yet, and it bums me out so much. So I love the question, Nick. I can't think of, I mean, I'd want it to be a driver, but we're not even close to that being a conversation um, for 2023 that I know of. Michael Brennan. Marshall, it is International Women's Day. So in your opinion, who's the greatest woman to race IndyCars? Um, also says, I'm happy to hear your wife is getting better, and I pray the progress continues. Uh, you're also kind enough to say thanks for all you do for us IndyCar fans. It's really sweet of you to say that, Michael. Uh, you guys do realize I'm an IndyCar fan who happens to have a job uh, producing content for fellow IndyCar fans. Uh, that'd be Simona Di Silvestro, period. Uh, no one comes close that i that i've witnessed i mean i did not see janet guthrie drive in person back in the day and i have insane amounts of respect for her but uh, i've never heard her spoken of as a you know truly all-time elite talent uh watched lynn st james many 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 times and she had a lot of talent ovals specifically is where she stood out and was most accomplished 
uh, got to watch Sarah Fisher. She came in as a rookie and she was awesome. Didn't have the road racing background, but at least on ovals, often driving for a much smaller team than was capable of putting her up front. She had a pole, but just saying, you know, Hey, go get wins, go chase a championship. She was never in a team that was capable of, of delivering that. Uh, she was mighty talented, obviously watched Danica and she certainly had a lot of skill. Um, would say though, without a doubt, Simona is the best we've seen. And I don't think I'm saying anything that's a revelation here, but that woman can drive her some race car (laughs) and she is badass. I was going to say she's tough as nails, but I don't need to say that because usually when you say something like that, it's as a qualifier or a, a distinguishing aspect. And if I look at all the women she has raced against in IndyCar uh, or those who came before her, we throw in um, Bia Figueredo, a.k.a. Anna Beatriz. We can throw in Pippa Mann. Uh, I'm just trying to think of some others who I haven't mentioned. Catherine Legg, obviously, uh, I mentioned just a little while ago. But all of these women are just made from freaking titanium like vibranium uh adamantium sorry i'm bringing in some comic book stuff here um these women are just made from extraordinarily tough stuff beth peretta not a driver but wow uh she is not a large person she is small but if her punch packed the weight of her spirit and resolve she'd be knocking down buildings and the racers, the drivers that I've mentioned, these women do not possess the same amount of talent, obviously just like the men, right? There are some that are excellent and others that aren't, but even I can say a bit of a a commonality that is specific to the, the women who have raced Indy cars that I have seen and this is a little bit different than what I've seen among some of the men for sure. There is a steeliness and a toughness that, um, collectively the women that I've mentioned have either had to summon within themselves. Some were fortunate to be born with it, but, uh, you get beaten up pretty good by a bunch of, uh, idiot men and altogether, uh, Simona, she, I would say is no tougher or stronger than a Pippa, than a Bia, than a, than a, than a. Um, But there is certainly something that is pretty darn amazing between all of them where you go, hey, you kick ass, uh, and I respect you for it, and I'm thankful for you, and I sure wish I could rattle off another 50 names along with theirs. We're just not there yet. So um, fingers and everything else crossed john day you said mp just for fun do you think you could do a whole episode in your old timey voice yeah see i'm gonna do that one of these days see but no one's gonna listen all the way through see because they're gonna say 
that guy has some serious issues, see? And he thinks he's a gangster from a 30s movie, see? And uh, he's going to say 23 skidoo and a whole bunch of things that make no sense and we don't understand because you're using a language from 100 years ago and all those people are gone, see? And nobody cares, see? So, yeah. Uh, hey, I got to take a call here. Uh, I'll be right back. And we're back. And I can't tell you who that was who was calling or what we were speaking about. But uh, I don't know when you're going to get to read that story. But I can tell you it's number one on my list. So I look forward to getting that done here. Uh, hopefully sometime soon. Okay, let's fire into... What are we? We're below the red line of death that... Uh, Jim Kaiser puts together for me, and I don't know why I'm talking to you in super bro voice. Uh, let's see. Harisha, you're back saying you'd love Roger Warwick's uh, latest show tune, that being one with Lynn St. James honoring 30 years ago when she was Rookie of the Year at the Indy 500. That indeed is coming. I'll be getting those made shortly, along with a couple others. And I have a whole bunch that I'm staring at that I had made, I think, maybe January? January, early February, that I just need to take the time and post those on the Marshall Pruitt podcast merchandise page. So maybe I'll get that done here in the coming days and you can get some of what I have that's just sitting here doing nothing. Uh, Ryan at KC Indie Moose from Twitter. Was Jimmy Johnson's performance at St. Pete an expected result? Would you say it was hugely disappointing? Uh, Preseason predictions seemed to think he would be much more competitive after one race, do you think finishing in the top 20 week to week is realistic? <sighs> I put in my little cool down lap that one of the things that we maybe failed to factor, and when I say we, it's probably 99% me. So, yes, as I said many times, wrote many times last year, let's get Jimmy through his first year, learn the tracks, learn the car. Year two, I'm not saying we can have hard, absolute expectations for him. You must win and you must do these things or else you're a failure. But at least by year two, we can start to have, you know, decent expectations. All right, man, you've had a year, still got a lot to learn, tons to learn, but at least you're not showing up to these tracks going, I've never seen you before. I don't know which way to go. I don't know where to break. Adding in the oval, so he'll be uh, picking those up for an IndyCar in the first time, but uh, mainly talking about road and street courses, like you're uh, referring to here from St. Pete, uh, Ryan. <sighs> the thing I failed to remember, I forgot to remember that even though he has a year of experience and is coming back to St. Pete for the second time, we're not talking about the same guy who was there last year. So he's not going to go back to St. Pete and just hit all the same marks, do all the same things, break at the same points, accelerate at the same points, and produce a more measured version of what he did last year uh, because then he would be demonstrating no growth. So I don't know why this fell out of my brain. It, truly, I felt so dumb when I realized it. But of course, his return to St. Pete and when we go to Long Beach and Barber and wherever else, is probably going to look a little bit messy like it did last year because he's gotten better, but he's now pushing into new boundaries. And if he comes back for a third full-time season, he'll be pushing even farther into those boundaries and finding 
new performance levels he did not know previously existed. That being a very different thing than the majority of the drivers in the field who, through vast open wheel experience or vast IndyCar experience, find the limit, the true ultimate limit, and live there the whole time. Jimmy is yet to meet the true, true, hardcore, crazy limit that uh, his, his veteran open wheel teammates or veteran rivals know. And so as a result, yeah, I, I should not have been surprised that Jimmy was going to be fumbling and messing up because he's not accepting the previous boundaries and trying to find new ones. Got it. Cool. Awesome. All that said, the thing that did stand out, and I can't argue, even though I wish this wasn't the case, I didn't see a lot of like, whoa, dude, you're more competitive uh, than you were last year. Like there's a significant rise in competitiveness um, that you would expect going from one year of experience now being applied in that second year. So granted, the Ganassi team was not exactly sharp coming out of the gates at St. Pete. Uh, Things only started to get good towards qualifying a bit, but even then wasn't great. Uh, And then a little bit better in the race, but I'm obviously going to look forward to see how he does at Texas here. I think 100% correct to say, yeah, that that wasn't great. Um, But I'm not willing yet to say, oh boy, we got a problem, true problem. Let's see how he does at Long Beach. It feels to me like get through an oval that he should be more comfortable on, get into Long Beach, place that he was just at uh, not too many months ago driving there. And I think let's reconvene after Long Beach and have this conversation again. I feel like we're going to see a more appropriate version of Jimmy, but let's get through the next two and see uh, where we're at. Uh, Zach Dean, how you doing, buddy, says, in the spirit of Women's History Month, what is going on behind the scenes in IndyCar to increase the involvement of women in the sport? says, go Peretta Autosport and also go to our cats. Thank you, Zach. Uh, I don't know. I really don't know. I mentioned that I wanted to speak with Roger or his number two, Bud Denker, in person. I saw Bud briefly at St. Pete. We were supposed to try and catch up. Didn't happen. My fault. Um, I still want to get a feel for where they're at and what they're doing uh, and Obviously, we see what they're doing with Ernie Francis Jr. Uh, they've helped support uh, part of uh, an important part, but still, you know, under half of Miles Rose uh, USF 2000 budget. But I don't know if I necessarily need Penske Entertainment Race for Equality and Change to come out of pocket for Peretta Autosport. I believe Beth has her Indy 500 budget that she's found on her own. Some of the other stuff where you go, hey, that's cool, but you you still need all the very expensive toys to put those stickers on and people and all the other infrastructure things. So not like those things are free, but hey, Penske Entertainment, can you help here? So I hope they can, but love the fact, Zach, that they are committed to helping black kids. And 
I don't want to just say African American because you don't necessarily have to be African American, uh, African dash whatever, but just black kids in general. I love that. I think that is truly, it is amazing driving side, mechanic side, and so on. It's great. Little, uh, yeah, see, uh, news report, flash report, see, half the world is women, see, and uh, if we're talking about half the population, see, and uh, motor racing is one of the few places where women can compete on equal terms, see, and don't have to rely on vast physical strength or other things, see, uh, can just compete as equals based on talent, see, um, never going to argue about helping black kids to come up in the sport c that's amazing c but if we're talking about yet another blind spot c when half the world is one type of person c and they are vastly underrepresented as drivers and owners and other things in the sport c um don't forget them yeah uh, where else do we go here to maybe start to wind her down, shut her down? Jameen Tuttle, MP, is IndyCar actively looking to fill the early season gaps next season? Um, no. Uh, let's see. Ryan Terpstra, your post-race download is always fun. I think that the article, it's what you look forward to most among articles, says one of the key talking points was about drivers who are starting in a hole. I'd say you're overreacting, but the last three champions won the first race. Um, I don't know if I overreacted because I didn't really quote react. I was just sharing the fact that, Hey, not just one or two heavy hitters that we expected to be title contenders, but like a mess of them had not a great start to the season and are already having to dig out of fairly significant points, uh, point deficits. So, I mean, Pato finishing 12th or whatever it was, obviously that's not terrible, but, thinking about a Rossi back in P20 or Joseph, whatever he was, P16 or P18, whatever it was. Like, again, maybe not as bad as Joseph's start last year where opening round crashed out on the first lap. But I just think, Ryan, about Joseph specifically. He spent the majority of the year having to dig out of that and won some races and helped himself and all those things. But a very bad round one and minimal points being earned ended up being something that shaped his entire season. That's why I opened with that, because to varying degrees, uh, we had, what, four drivers, I think, that I listed where, you know, you can fix that by winning at Texas. You can get right back into things. But what if you don't win Texas, you don't win Long Beach, and, you know, it takes until June or July for you to get into the win column or start visiting the podium quite a bit. Um, it's, yeah. Base it on, I mean, there's, what, 17 NFL games now? You know, it's not just a case of losing the first game, uh, but something like this, or if you do have a genuinely bad start, you know, it can almost be like winning the going 0 for 2 or 0 for 3 to start the season. You can rally back, but man, um, already you've lost the opportunity for a mulligan. You've lost the opportunity to throw away a result. Um, and you don't get many of those if you're really going to be a title contender. Uh, Mato Corey from Facebook, MP with Texas coming up. How much of that info can they use at Indian May, especially the smaller teams? Uh, zero. 
totally different tracks, totally different aero packages, Mato Cori. So yeah, nothing. Uh, Don Gregory, do you think IndyCar would ever consider going back to Vegas? Um, consider, yes. I would love to go back and use that 2007 Champ Car uh, Las Vegas street circuit configuration. That was pretty darn awesome. Uh, Kevin Frederico um, says if a better opportunity rose for Bourdais, where do you think that might be? Air McLaren SP says obviously he has a great history with Zach. I'm sorry, Zach Hampson. Good Lord, Craig Hampson. Um, yeah, I'll tell you, if they were to expand out to three cars, as we hope, towards the end of the year, I don't know. Um, unless they're trying to evaluate talent with someone who's currently not in IndyCar. Sure seems to me like someone as brutally honest as Sebastian to help them sharpen their engineering stuff even farther would not be a bad idea. Uh, let me take a quick look at where we're at on time. Actually, I have no idea because I just recorded that whole uh, longish phone conversation. How long was that? Yeah, 15, 20 minutes. Um, I'm going to wind down here pretty quickly. Uh, Sasha Khan, 24. How you doing, Sasha? I always enjoy it when you send stuff in. Constant flu- blue flag debate is tiring. To my non-mechanical brain, it seems that the current chassis and engine combo is mostly to blame as it leads to a tight field from first to last. Very true. Uh, spec racing. You get that. Um, you see it in road and street courses as well as ovals. Leaders struggle to put a car lap down. Compare the current car and engine combo to basketball's rim size. If the basketball rim was changed to a hula hoop size rim, suddenly every player in the NBA becomes an amazing three-point shooter. Diminishes Steph Curry's greatness. I love it. We got a Steph Curry analogy here. Uh, as even average shooters are just slightly below him. Otherwise, if you make shooting tougher by having a smaller rim, it would reward the accuracy of sharpshooters like Curry because his ability would shine even more over the average player. When we hopefully get that new car and engine, will there be less parity throughout the field by having the car, say, be tougher to drive? And will the higher horsepower allow the leader to blow past a struggling back marker, uh, making the blue flag debate moot? I love that we came all that way and came to a great closing question. Um, I'm not aware at this moment, Sasha, of there being any big desire with an IndyCar to reduce parity, to make more available options to teams to do things differently and, in theory, distinguish themselves more from a mechanical standpoint, electronic standpoint, or similar. So I don't think IndyCar, at least right now, is planning on doing anything where you go, oh, you opened up some cool and fun stuff. These cars are genuinely going to be different and therefore more opportunities to do unique things or to get things wrong, right? Uh, performance differences don't always come from one, quote, doing a better job than the other. Sometimes it's from a team or multiple teams just doing a bad job and going backwards. Tougher to drive? I think they already are. Uh, we're at about the limit of tough with an Indy car, especially without power steering, all that downforce, all the everything. It's, it's pretty crazy where I think some driving skill separation might come in is if we do have power at a point to where breaking traction under acceleration is pretty serious. Um, where tires are something that, can be destroyed easier than ever, ruined earlier in a stint than we've seen in a long time. 
that was going to involve some nursing, right? That's going to involve having to baby things a little bit. And so that's never like a lot of fun to watch because if the best driver is having to nurse their tires a bit, so they aren't roasted long before the end of the uh, stint, which would obviously let in theory, some others go flying by them. It's kind of like fuel saving. If everybody's having a fuel save, well, okay, we're not seeing a lot of passing. If everybody's having to save their tires, granted, pick the driver you like most who's a front runner, a Pato, a Colton, a Dixon, a Polo, a Newgarden. They're going to be better at that than at least half the field, but not necessarily a lot more than half the field. So if the top 50% of the field are all really, really good at doing the same thing, you kind of get a lot of matchy-matchiness where folks are running more or less the same lap times. It's going to be a rare scenario, unless the uh, chassis setup is way off, where you're going to get you know, a front runner blowing by another one. It's more going to be the, the drivers in the bottom half coming up to lap them kind of thing. So, I mean, maybe that's an area that could open up things a little bit more. Um, maybe that's going to open up the drivers that are, are better with their chassis feedback and really truly arming their race engineers with better information on how to tune the car uh, than some others. Maybe that's going to be a distinguishing factor. When you have more power than the car is able to handle, that's usually not a bad thing. Uh, That can make for some pretty compelling stuff. But once again, the compelling part when that exists tends to be one or two drivers uh, and their entries that just nail it and are rockets no one can catch. And then others who are lost and are getting pounced upon or messing up the flow and traffic when they're getting lapped and creating a bit of drama there. These are the only real areas where I see this jumping out with a new formula. So unless IndyCar wants to let teams play a little bit more in whatever areas uh, to really allow lap times to be varied far more than they are now. I don't see a big change, my friend. Uh, Sean Price, let's see. Uh, I realize this is only partially an IndyCar question, but if and when Andretti gets to F1, do you think they can bring some of the IndyCar culture with them and infuse a little more of a friendly atmosphere? I absolutely do not, my friend Sean. <laughs> um. This is going to be the new kid at school scenario, right? What is like, it seems like half of everything I see on Netflix or similar is some sort of tale of the new kid, the loner, the one who isn't accepted, the one who's made fun of, the one who's bullied, who does whatever in reaction to that. Um, And Dreddy Global is absolutely going to be the new kid at school that all the others point at, make fun of, and say you don't fit, your clothes suck, your haircut is lame, your choice in music is bad, your 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 lineage is terrible, you're just right. No. Um this would be a quote American team stepping into a non American series. And the culture in F one is and has been well established forever. They're not going to change a thing. Uh, they are going to have to adapt uh, to be one of, quote, them if they want to fit in. Uh, F1 culture, it ain't changing because Andretti's showing up. Uh, Vincent1701, 
Mr. and Mrs. Anderson says, what is it like being on Zach Brown's bus? Well, it's actually McLaren's bus, uh, the Condor, the old 1970s motor home that they used back in the day for, uh, as their kind of mobile operations place. It's awesome. I uh, spent about an hour in there with Zach talking about things that aren't meant for print um, at St. Pete and actually spent some time with him in it last year as well. And it is awesome. So the only thing I should add is while it was a couple years older, uh, my dad bought something super similar for us. And uh, granted, I don't think it, it was nothing opulent, nor is the Condor uh, made by Winnebago, I think. I think we had a Winnebago or whatever. It was popular back then, the late 70s. Um, but yeah, honestly, uh, it just reminded me of my youth. And uh, my dad saying, all right, we're going fishing or camping this weekend. And that was a lot of what we did. So, yeah, I spent a lot of time growing up in something very similar to the Condor. Uh, Deb Drake, latest on indie entries. Uh, coming soon. Certainly wouldn't be uh, revealing all that here in the podcast. But uh, soon, I hope, to have a more definitive thing there. If you happen to listen to Doug Bowles in his visit to Hashtag Racing Spaces from Monday... Um, he did help me to explain something that I know to be true, but, uh, I know that with an Indy car, they've been telling some folks, they think we could have 36 entries for the Indy 500. And I, so I said to Doug, like, you know, that doesn't necessarily jive with my numbers. Like 34, I think we're probably maybe going to have 35 would be a real stretch. And, uh, but yeah, 33, 34 is kind of the number. And, uh, he said, yeah. Like 34, you know, 34, maybe 35 is kind of what he's hearing too. But uh, so, yeah, uh, numbers wise, that's what I got for you. Um, just looking here, see if there's any others I want to pick up real quick. Uh, Vincent, by the way, appreciate you just as a little sidebar, uh, firing in like five or six questions. Uh, probably going to get to one, uh, my friend. Um, seeing what else I might pick up here. Uh, we're going to close the show, I think, unless I'm missing something else. Um, we're going to close the show with, uh, Nova isn't dad from Reddit. Yet another great Reddit screen name. The rumored third engine supplier is Panos making their first engine. Isn't it? Keep in mind, Panos had their Alon, what was it, Alon Power Technologies or something like that. And I'm struggling to remember if they ever truly made an engine 100% from scratch, but uh, they did do their own motors for quite some time. So, yes, we can confirm finally uh, the third engine manufacturer is Panos. Don Panos uh, has come back to life and is building them himself in Brazelton, Georgia. All right, I am Marshall Pruitt. This is our Marshall Pruitt podcast. Listener Q&A, weekly IndyCar conversation with y'all. Uh, we'll be doing week in sports cars here just in a matter of hours with my man, Graham Goodwin. That listener Q&A show uh, should have another one or two hashtag racing spaces shows this week. I don't even know on what, uh, but on Twitter spaces. So please check us out there. And a big thank you to y'all for your questions, to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com.